But yeah, it's the first week of Advent, and I, uh, Advent's a word we don't often use. We use it at Christmas, don't we? Because we think about Advent, we think about our Advent calendars full of chocolates and uh, little windows we open in the morning. So we kind of know what Advent is. It's the countdown to the coming of Jesus. And I, I'm not like a hyper-religious person who does all the traditional church stuff. But I kind of wanted to honour that a little bit before we get going today. So can I do that? I just want to read for you uh, Matthew 1, 18 to 23. And it's the nativity story. But I think it really well frames what the Lord is speaking to us about as a church at the moment anyway. And then you're reminded that God's timing is perfect. Always. So why am I always surprised when he brings these things into line? That this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel is an old word that means God with us. Our Jesus, my Jesus, our God is not some distant God who lives on a moon many, many light years away like in Star Wars. Our God is a living God who is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you know you're probably going to hear the word Emmanuel a couple of times in the next few weeks as we lead up to Christmas. So get used to your Hebrew and Greek lessons. Do you know we picked up on it at the start of the service. We picked up on it throughout the worship. I think this week to me has been a stark reminder that we live in a really painful broken world. And you think as you go around the shops and people are getting a little bit festive, they're starting to put their Christmas trees up, you see more and more Christmas jumpers. There's actually quite a lot of joy in the world too. But you don't have to scratch very far or dig very deep to find somebody somewhere who's suffering. And it's also a, it's a horrible reminder, isn't it, that at Christmas, when families will come together to celebrate, we often remember those that we've lost. We remember those that we've lost throughout the year. We remember those that... Maybe we, we would give our lives to spend one more Christmas with them. It's very technical language. Life sucks. People, life sucks. Life is hard. And it's hard because it's not the way it was meant to be. It was meant to be perfect. It was meant to be painless. It was meant to be without sin and without brokenness, without disease and without accident, without sin without crime it was meant to be perfect you get fed up when we're talking about my little boy between the side of the fences do you remember the gospel how God sent Jesus to clear the tunnel out for those of you who haven't been here recently sorry that probably doesn't mean a lot to you but God sent his son Jesus so that we could have access to him again and access to that perfect intention that it was supposed to be yes life sucks and yes we live in a broken world but through Jesus, we can find our way back. Now, this is the time of year, of course, we celebrate Christmas trees and mince pies and gift giving. And it's gift giving that I want to talk to you a little bit about today. And that's where the tenuous link comes with Christmas. 
One of the greatest gifts we've received, of course, is grace. And one of my favourite Bible verses is in Ephesians. Do you remember it says about being saved by grace alone? So yes, we live in a broken world, and yes, we are all sinners, and yes, we've all done things wrong, and yes, we are all away from God, and none of us are perfect. But he's given us that almighty gift called grace that says all we have to do is believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that he's Lord, and we have access back to that perfect world. We have access back to that perfect God, that perfect Father who loves you. Romans 10:9. if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And throughout the course of this year, we've talked an awful lot about being saved by grace. We've talked an awful lot about being saved by grace alone. I've given you some, some examples of where, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses have tried to remove grace from their Bible. They've tried to remove grace from their scriptures because they don't believe that you can be saved by grace alone. They believe that you have to earn your salvation. And although we don't teach it in the church, it's thrive, thriving, isn't it? It's rife. Where you go to any church in the UK, you will find people that are just serving and serving and serving and giving and giving and giving and attending and attending and attending through some hope that their actions will see them saved. And you just want to give them a great big hug, look them square in the eye and say, Jesus loves you. You were saved by grace alone. You don't have to ruin your salvation. But Romans goes on to say some other stuff. It goes on to say, how then can anyone call on the name of the Lord if they've not believed him how can they believe in one whom they've not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them how can anyone preach to them unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news so here's a simple magic pill that saves everybody the grace of God you don't need to earn your salvation you don't have to do anything you're saved by grace alone but what happens if people don't know about it Whose job is it to tell them? My favourite Bible verse at the moment, Ephesians 2. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. But not by works, so that no one can boast. You didn't do this, guys. For we are all God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Can you see there's a bit of a difference there? We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. Because we are saved, we will do the things that I just listed off. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the most important thing on that list is to share the gospel. Now, I'm not expecting you all to become platform preachers anytime soon. I'm not expecting you all to suddenly start websites and Facebook pages and Twitter feeds that have got thousands of followers. But you can invite your neighbour to the World Good News of Christmas. You could come and ask the church if you could run an alpha course in your home. But I'm excited. I'm excited by the number of us that are catching this idea that God has called us to be co-workers in his great task. And we all have a part to play regardless of your age, your ability, your gender, your experience or how long you've been a, a Christian. You'll be pleased to know that's not my sermon. That's just a preamble. Morning. We might run a bit late today. We started a bit late. I had a, a great pleasure this week to, to take a couple of days to one side to just literally dig into the scriptures. And I spent that time in preparation for Christmas in the gospel messages. So Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And you know, I'm really pleased to say that the Lord spoke to me through that. There's a lot of texts in there 
that's four massive books full of absolute gold that will transform your life when you start to study it and, and be transformed by the Holy Spirit through those words. But you know, there was, there was one story that, that arches through all three of them, all four of them. I say three because one's slightly different. It may not have been the same event, but it has the same message. And it doesn't particularly fit the traditional nativity. Weak, tough. I believe the Lord is going to speak to us today about the woman with the alabaster jar. I'm going to pick one of the examples. Uh, I'm going to pick... Uh, Matthew 26, 6. It appears in Luke as well. Ever slightly different. Mark is very similar. John is, is different altogether. So much so that some of the Bible scholars don't actually think it's the same story. It could be a different version of something very similar. I guess the reason it struck me so much is we talk about the events that happened around this very often as a church. Every other week we break bread. We are forever talking about the Last Supper. We are forever talking about how Jesus died for us. We're forever talking about the teachings he gave the disciples before he went. But there was a particular line in here that I wanted to show you that I thought might transform the way you do your Christian walk. It's certainly going to transform the way I do mine. But let me read it to you first and then we're going to break it down slightly. We're going to read around it as well. As always, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. But Matthew 26, 6 to 13 says, Whilst in, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume. Alabaster, is a, it, again, it's a weird word. It just means the type of jar. It doesn't matter. Don't get tied up on that. A jar of oil. We could literally just say a jar of perfume. People would get it. Which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. They were angry. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I could give you a, a, a Bible college lecture right now. Three days worth of content just within that story. It's a beautiful story. It's about generosity. It's about humility. It's about giving surrender to Jesus. I could tell you like a really interesting fact, really irrelevant to what I'm going to say to you, but... Do you know when it said the disciples were indignant? The disciple who was indignant was Judas. Do you remember the guy who betrayed Jesus? Do you know the reason he was indignant? It's not because he wanted to help the poor. It's because he was a thief. He had his money in the coffers. He had his hand in the till. And he was stealing off people. And he was angry because this, this could have been sold. And money could have been raised. From which he could have stolen. Can you imagine saying that to the Son of God? That's not the bit I want to talk about today. Did you ever notice that last sentence? I didn't. And I've read this Bible verse at least a thousand times. And I'm not exaggerating. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel, gospel means good news, the story of Jesus, is preached throughout the world, what she has done 
will also be told in memory of her. And I can't remember the last time we preached on this subject. Jesus himself there is saying, not only did this woman do a beautiful thing for me, remember, you're saved by grace, you're saved by grace alone for a purpose. We think the purpose is to go and share the gospel. Well, actually, it is. But we also have to tell people about this one. Everywhere the gospel will be told, this story will be told also to remember her. Why on earth do we not do that? But like it, do we? It creates uncomfortable questions for ourselves. It creates an uncomfortable truth for ourselves. That Jesus has saved you by grace, alone, for a purpose. We can probably just about to swallow it. Some of us might struggle with the purpose bit at the end. But we have been saved by grace alone for a purpose. When we start to open up what that uncomfortable truth at the end means for a purpose, we have to start looking at scripture like this and say, this woman gave something incredibly valuable. She gave a gift. Can you see the tenuous link to Christmas? As we're all thinking about the gifts that we're going to give one another, we forget about the gift that Jesus gave us. We might say, yeah, he died for us. That's great. Go and share that with a load of non-Christians. That makes no sense to them whatsoever. Why on earth would you follow a God who died? Say, no, 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 don't you have to wait four months. He raises back to the, he comes back to life. Don't worry about it. But you say to a non-Christian that Jesus died for you, they'll think you're insane. It means nothing to them until they realise the truth of that, how that changes their hearts. Why do you think Jesus was so indignant about telling everybody who heard the gospel about this woman? Incidentally, I found it really interesting that it was a woman. So many characters in the Bible are men, right? God didn't use a, a man, he used a woman. A woman who had humility. A woman who loved Jesus. And actually, when I look around us, sometimes I think the women are leading the way too. Championing this. Jesus is saying, I want you to learn from this woman. She did a beautiful thing for me. So yes, I came to save you. And I came to save you by grace alone. You don't have to do anything. I'm going to save you anyway. And I have a purpose for your life. You're going to be, remember we talked about in Corinthians, we are co-workers with Christ. Do you remember I told everybody off when we, when, we, when we go to somebody who's doing something good and we go, yeah, but it's not really you, is it? God's doing all this stuff. Yes, he is. But so are we. We are called to be co-workers with him. It's okay to go to one of the saints. We're all saints. Go to one of the saints and go, you're doing a good job. Thank you for sharing that word today. Was it prompted by the Holy Spirit? Yes. Can we back it up with scripture? Yes. But you still had to have the faith and the courage to stand up and share it in a church full of people that you'd not really met before. Thank you. You're doing a good job, brother. You're doing a good job. And I can say that without anyone else in the room going, yeah, but God did it, didn't he? Yes, he did. Both things can be true. Both things can be true. This woman was called to be a co-worker with Jesus. I want to read around it a little bit. I want you to go to Matthew 25, 14 to 18. It's a different story. This one we do talk about a little bit more often. We don't have to use some funny words in church, don't we? It's called the parable of the talents. It's all like money, actually. 
Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with, uh, with wealth, to his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five bags more. So also the one with two bags gained of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole and stuck it in the ground. Hid his master's money. I'm not going to uh, read the whole story to you. Many of you will know the, the parable of the, uh, the talents, but if you don't, read it. This metaphorical master, because it's a parable, it's not a real story, okay? It's a, it's a, it's a fairy tale. So it's a story that Jesus was telling to teach people stuff. It's amazing the number of people who get that wrong and think he was a real person. The master gave somebody some talent, some gifts, and said, I'm going away for a bit. What are you going to do with them? You know, I'm going to use them. And it multiplied. Didn't divide. Remember we talked about that last week? Didn't divide, it multiplied. And he doubled it. Why? Because he put it to work. So the person he gave less talents to, what did he do? He went and put them to work. And he multiplied. It didn't divide. So what about the person who only got one? I've always, my question in this story is why five, two, and one? Why not just five, five, and five? Because the story carries through regardless of the numbers, right? The meaning carries through regardless of the numbers. But whatever happened to this third fella, he got a bit scared and he buried it all in the ground and went, ooh, what happens if I lose it? What happens if I make a bad business investment and, and the company goes under? What happens if I give it to somebody and they steal it or run away with it? Of course, he didn't lose it, but it also never multiplied. Well, actually, if you read through on the story, he does lose it. Because the master comes back and he's so angry and said, I gave you something and you did nothing with it. So actually, I'm going to take it off you and give it to the person who had more anyway. Why? Because I know he's going to use it. We have sadly run out of time. This is such an important message for where we are as a church on the journey. We're not going to lose sight of it. I'm going to take another couple of minutes. We're not going to lose sight of this. But remember the prophetic word over the church at the moment is that we will speak to the rock. This is Numbers 20 for those who haven't been around recently. We are going to speak to the rock. The water, the living water will gush from the rock. And we will give the glory to God. Read the story if you haven't, if you haven't been around recently. Numbers 20. We will speak to the rock. The rock is Jesus. The living water will come out. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Gifts, wonders, miracles, signs. And when they do, we're going to give glory to God. We're not going to say, what a good bunch of living word community church are. Aren't we doing a good job? Because that's not right either. We're just called to be co-workers. We're going to give all the glory back to God. So I'm going to leave you with this final thought. And incidentally, if any of my Bible college lecturers got hold of these recordings, I'd be in serious trouble. Because they always say, don't use too many Bible verses. The problem is, when I look at the Bible, it's so rich. I feel like I don't want to add anything to it. But when you start to see the themes throughout the Bible, it should transform your life. This is something Paul wrote. And I think it encapsulates what Jesus was teaching. And it encapsulates what we are called to do beautifully. And at the end, I'm going to pray but I'm going to challenge you too. Because we are in a new season as a church. You don't have to look around for very long or very far to see that things look a bit different now than they did a couple of years ago. There's lots of new faces in the church. We've seen miracles, we've seen signs, we've seen wonders, we've seen children, we've seen youth, we've seen alpha courses. We've seen all sorts of good and wonderful signs in the church. And I don't even think that's the beginning. 
I think this was our training time. I think this was dig- us digging foundations. Some local church leaders asked me recently, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you doing baptisms? And why are you seeing these new people coming into the church? I said, dead simple. I said, we're remaining in the favour of God. Remember, we're going to speak to the rock, we're going to see the water, we're going to give him all the glory. So the real trick is we're a body. We're an army. We're one. And if you wanted to employ some itinerant church leader who was going to come in and see hundreds of people saved and miracles and signs and wonders and all that kind of stuff, you employed the wrong person. When I look at here, I look at a room full of saints. I look at a room full of people that are carrying the same gifting and anointing as one another, and I'm in that. If we are all called to do something, we are all called to be co-workers with Christ, but we might be called to do different things. So for this season, I'm called to do this. For my last season, I was called to do youth work. Somehow in the middle, I got, ended up in Africa and in India and in, in Mongolia and America and some other places too. Who knows what the next season of my life will look like, but I'm going to stay in the favour of God. My challenge to you is to stay in the favour of God and ask yourselves, what is God calling you to do in this season? I'll give you a clue. It's not sit there and do nothing. The other end of that extreme is it's not to go and burn out and try and do everything. It might be to rest. You know, rest is actually a doing something. It might be restoration. It might be healing. Maybe you've had a really tough few years. Maybe you've had a really tough few days. And the season that God wants you in is a season of relationship with him where he wants to heal you. And he wants you to be restored. That's still a doing thing. Maybe he wants you to be a fantastic husband to your wife. Maybe he wants you to be a wonderful wife to your husband. A father to your son or daughter. Just, I think of David again today. How about just a wonderful son to your mother? Those of us who still have them. How about a friend to the neighbour who's hurting? How about helping Dan's family repatriate the body? You should have got an email. They're trying to raise some money. It's expensive to do this sort of stuff. We can stand with them in that. And we can be Jesus in that moment and put a couple of quid forward. It's just going to help them bring the body home. Maybe it's reaching out to that friend you haven't spoken to for a while. Maybe it's reaching out to somebody and bringing them to the welcome news of Christmas. Maybe it's realising that actually you should be a kids worker. But you've been hiding and running away from it because you don't like snotty kids. That's what I used to say before I became a youth pastor. God was not going to let go of me on that issue. Maybe it's to be a preacher. Maybe you think you should be leading a church. Maybe you think you should be leading this one. Go for it. Let's work together. Let's train you up. I'll go somewhere else. It's cool. I'm not going to be threatened by that. What I will be threatened by is a room full of people, or even just one of you that says, God is not calling me to do anything. I just want to receive or participate. We are called to be co-workers with him. We are called to be his witnesses. We are called to heal, to restore, to provide, to care for. God has a calling over your life. He's going to equip you. He's not going to ask you to do anything you can't do. He's also not just going to ask you to do nice things. He's going to ask you to do challenging things too. Forget what Ricky says. Let's listen to what Paul has to say. It's in Romans 12, 1 to 8. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
Do you remember the difference between grace and mercy? We talked about it a lot last year. Grace is to receive something that you don't deserve. Somebody comes and kicks me in the shin and I choose not to retaliate. That's mercy. Grace is to receive something that you don't deserve. That's the right way around. In view of God's mercy, you are not going to get what you were meant to get. You should offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I'm glad Tim and Sue left. Because worship isn't just about singing and dancing at the front with flags. It's about living as a living sacrifice. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, imperfect will. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. That doesn't say each other. That says yourself. Do not think too highly of yourselves. Think of yourself with holy judgment. It's not telling you to judge others. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you, For just as each one of us has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so we are in Christ. Though many form one body, and each member belongs all to each other's. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy. This list is not exhaustive, by the way. If your gift is prophesying, you should prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your gift is to serve and serve do you know there's a fellow in my church in rugby called Nick Castle and I'm going to honour him without embarrassing him but when you go to any other church in rugby they will say things like this if you want to know what a Christian should look like you should look at Nick Castle he is not a preacher he's not a prophet he's not a worship leader or a kids worker or a youth worker do you know what he is He's a good man after Christ's heart. And he just serves. His most enjoyable task is he lays out the chairs in the church. Loves it. Something needs painting, he paints it. Someone's house needs decorating, he decorates it. When I moved down here, he took my whole house and stored it in his garage for like six months. And then when I needed it bringing down here, he said, don't worry, don't come up to rugby. I'll bring it down. Went and hired himself a van. And brought all the stuff down. Doesn't do this in the public arena. Doesn't put it on the newsletter. Doesn't want self-praise. He takes this literally. Lives his life by it. Because his calling is to serve. So he serves. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Our list is not exhaustive. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word today. I want to thank you that you have not brought us into isolation, but into community. Lord, that we are each members of one body, but each called to do something different. Lord, when we stay in your grace, when we stay in your mercy, when we stay in your purposes, and we begin to work together, we really will see what the kingdom of God should look like here on earth. Lord, I encourage everybody in this room and everybody who couldn't make it today to search their hearts and their own faith according to their faith what your purpose is for their life what you are calling them to do whether it's to serve or to prophesy or to teach or to give Lord I want to see empowerment 
I want to see freedom. I want to see miracles. I want to see your kingdom grow. I want to see people saved. Lord, I want to be selfish too and say, I want to see those people saved that are close to us. Our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers. Those that we, we pray for diligently. Lord, we want to see them coming to you. Not, I don't care if they come to this church or another church. I want to see them in the kingdom of God. I want to see them in heaven. But Lord, we are going to need your grace and we are going to need your mercy. Lord, we are going to need your wisdom. Some of us are going to need to be healed and restored before we can even pray the prayer. But Lord, when we do, we're doing it in anticipation that you will answer it. And you will show us how we can serve your body. How we can serve your people. Lord, what the purpose is you have on our lives. Lord, we're going to take our alabaster jars. Our jars of perfume. And whatever is inside of that. Whether that perfume is leadership. Whether that perfume is service. Whether that perfume is worship. Children's work. Baking. Making cups of tea and coffee. Lord, we are going to break it. And we are going to pour it over your head. Because we are so grateful for what you have done for us. We are so grateful that we are saved by your grace. Lord, we acknowledge that you have saved us for a purpose. Lord, now, right now, in this season, as we embark on this incredible journey into Basildon, Lord, we just need your wisdom. We need you to show us what those giftings are. Lord, to empower them, to train them, to draw them out, to see what they are. Lord, to do that in a safe environment where we will raise one another up. People will make mistakes. When you raise new people into their gifting, we will make mistakes, Lord. Give us the grace to deal with that. Jesus, we love you. We give our whole lives back to you. Lord, we thank you again and again for what you did at Christmas, again and again for what you did at Easter. Lord, we look forward to hearing more and more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.